what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes, Pat. I can't help but notice you have a new puppy out there. I do have a new puppy. Have you thought about getting some expert advice on how to raise that puppy? Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just happens that we do have an expert as part of our sponsor group. Really? Yeah, Dan Croft Canine. Do they run puppy class? They run amazing puppy classes. What what on earth do they do there? They've got whole ranges of foundation for puppy school. So they're running a complete socialization package and they're doing a whole range of different levels for puppies. And that's what they really wanted to emphasize is that they are experts in puppy raising and training. Where are they experts in puppy raising and training? In Toronto, Canada. Whoa. So if you were in Toronto, Canada, yep. and you had a friend, a client, a relative, just anybody who was getting a puppy mm-hmm. and you wanted to set that puppy up for success, yep, you could probably send them to Dancroft, can I? If I was over in Toronto, Canada with my new little Rottweiler puppy, Mando, I would go over, and I'm, I swear this, I would go over and I would do the socialization program with them. Great I idea. love what they're doing. Have you seen this set up online? Oh, amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. They had a tire with a medicine ball with a pit bull doing a drop stay on top of it. My goodness. Amongst a dozen other dogs that were doing all similar things, like on BOSU balls and all sorts of things. My goodness. It was great. Fantastic. Unbelievable. Yeah. Hey, speaking of your puppy, mm-hmm. what's going on with his nutrition? Couldn't go past canine tuticles. Supplemented up. Supplemented up to the help. My goodness. Yeah. So he should have arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger by the time we're finished. Where did you get those canineceuticals from? From Narelle Cook. Narelle Cook. Yeah. How, do you, how do you know her? <laughs> <laughs> Funny that she's got the same last name as me. Yeah. The supplier is very local. Absolutely. Canineceuticals, but legit, it's probably the best supplements available best for Best supplements available, human grade, gone through the absolute rigorous testing program. I mean, Narelle's got stat sheets on it and everything like that on demand, so... People want to know what they're actually putting into their dog's body supplement-wise. They can reach out to her and she's got all the facts and figures before she even put it down as a physical product. She spent years and years researching it before it was actually come to market. So great stuff. Yes, the puppy's definitely on it. All our dogs are on it. And there's a shit ton of people around Australia and New Zealand who are taking caninecuticals and the feedback is astronomical. Amazing. Yep. Do you plan on taking Mando on your motorbike? If I did, you know who I'd have to go to, don't you? You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound boxes. Rowdy Hound dog kennels. Yeah. From Horny George. George Kittridge himself. You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound dog kennels to go on the back of your motorbike. How good is his social media? It's the best. Yeah. I love watching the dogs cruise around motorbikes. I think it's one of the coolest things ever. They've got their little doggles on. Yeah. You know, like we talk about living the best life. Well, for people who are motorcyclists, they can do both. I'm serious about thinking about getting one, but then I've got to train a – I don't know if having a Rottweiler on the back of a bike is going to be a great <laughs> idea. Your sport but, bike. <laughs> but, well, uh, I think you should do it. Maybe one day when I've got a smaller mid-sized dog, uh, I would get a Rowdy Hound dog kennel and mm. I could travel around. So I could not only enjoy the company of my dog, which hundreds of people seem to be doing across the United States of America, and I could motorcycle at the same time. So Amazing. two things that are very dear to my heart, Coming together. All right. This ad's going on for a long time. Mm. I need to get out of here and go and train some dogs. Yeah. But do you know where I got the equipment that I'm going to use to train those dogs? The goat. 
the goat. The Billy Goat's gruff. Ein's a wiener. <laughs> the wiener himself. Einswick <laughs> dog quip. Yep. If you're not buying all your dog training gear from them, yep. I don't know where you're fucking getting it from. Well, if not from Furman, Einswick dog quip, the Ein's a wiener. How the hell does he sell anything being such a grumpy old bastard? He's online now. He's got a website. That's you right. Can, they don't have to deal with him. You correct. can actually buy things <laughs> off the website. You can actually do it now. Yep. Einswickdogquip.com.au yep. or just .com. Probably one of them. I don't it's know. One of them. It just, we'll put try it, it out. Yeah, put it, you, yeah, you'll click. You'll find a link. You'll buy some stuff. <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hey, I have some unfinished business that I tried to get onto on the last podcast that we had to trash, and I'm going to have my fucking say. (laughs) (laughs) We've just been sitting here for 10 minutes talking about what are we going to talk about, and you haven't alerted me to any of this. I do the intro, and you just straight away. Because I know you're going to be in my bonnet. I know you're going to try and stop me, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) Okay, what do you got? We're straight into it. People that do Instagrams with tiny mics? No. (laughs) (laughs) okay so you're upset about when people use tiktoks and instagram with the little mic that they hold next to their face while they're doing it like it seems to be a trend but it just looks ridiculous what what is it specifically that triggers you about that sir i don't know can we unpack this is it because of the enormity of the microphone in front of you it could be it could be i don't know why they're doing it like you don't need to do it because you're talking to a phone that's like literally near your face Mm. And yet they've got these tiny little mics that they just want to hold to the side and mm. do this. It's like they're trying to be like this little TikTok journalist. Mm-hmm. Stop it. You look crazy. It's interesting. On like a, a later model iPhone, your phone's microphone is actually much better than the one in the inline one with the speakers. Mm-hmm. It's actually much better, micro, much higher quality microphone in the phone than the headphones. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is the <laughs> the phone microphone is exceptional. Like yeah. why are they using those tiny little microphones? Like I think somebody did it and people go, oh, that looks amazing. Yeah, that's that's why they went viral. All right, the other one. Okay. So when you're watching an Instagram and there's a hilarious clip and there's some dude sitting on the side of it making faces at it, they absolutely shit me to tears uh-huh. because they're distracting me from the hilarity of that video. Mm-hmm. But you may not have seen that video That's true. out there. That's true. That's true. I may not have seen that video, but it makes me want to go and look for that original video because they're ruining it for me because I'm split between two screens now uh-huh. while they're ruining my entertainment. Fuck off. Okay. Get off my screen. I don't want to see your stupid face looking at the videos. Okay. Feel better now? Yep. We can move on. <laughs> okay. So we had something lined up and it it's, couldn't happen at the last minute and yep. I just put up a post saying, hey- we had something lined up, couldn't happen at the last minute. Mm. What else to talk about? And there's a lot of stuff. And what we've realized that what are we, how far in are we? We this is two thirty two. Yeah. So after two hundred and thirty two episodes, we've mm. covered a lot of stuff. Yep. <laughs> Clearly, not everyone listens to every episode because there's people asking us to talk about stuff that we've gone through in nauseating detail in the past. Well, there's people that have just joined us along the journey. Like there is still like a swag of people that are joining the discussion group mm. who have just found out about us. Mm-hmm. One thing that is really interesting, I was looking at the stats the other day. I often just browse over them to have a bit of a look. Mm -hmm. We are nearly at 
just through the USA, we're nearly at 900,000 listens just through the USA. Right. Yeah. So there's an enormous appetite for the canine paradigm in the United States. Really? Enormous appetite. Well. And Australia's next and then Canada. Well, Mm. thank you, USA. Yeah. I'll be within you very soon. You're going inside them. I will be within Mm. them very soon. Mm. Mm. Uh, I'm actually super excited about that. I Well... I'm a little bit hesitant about traveling, sort of full stop. I don't really want to be away from my family, but I do love teaching and I'm I'm very excited. I'm going to, by the time you're listening to this, I'm probably there. Mm. I'm probably, but yeah, I'm super excited. I, I really love teaching seminars. There's a lot of people there that I haven't seen in years that I'm going to get to, you know, reconnect with and that sort of stuff. I'm doing the two-day seminar at Fabian's Place and then mm. like a five-day boot camp, which I'm really – hopefully that becomes a thing that I can do. That's a lot more sustainable for me going forward yep. rather than sort of bouncing around the place doing seminars every month like I was. To do that just a few times a year is probably much more sustainable, I think. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how we go. We'll see how it goes. And then – after that, zooming down to Florida to go to the ICP conference, which, you know, should be really, really great to reconnect with a lot of people. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it's a bummer. Can't go this year, but hopefully next year and be good to see some of the old heads at the ICP that we've been to and had good fun with and some really big laughs. Yeah. Not to sort of speak out of school, but in, in line with, you know, what we were just discussing before, like I think that this conference, it's not near the numbers that it once was. I think that yeah, you know, the oh, last were, one was nearly 600. Yeah, they were huge. Pre-COVID, pre-COVID like that last yeah. one in Colorado. Mm. We had incredible time. And then COVID cancelled one and then last minute it cancelled a second one and that caused a lot of issues. And there's been, you know, a lot of changes within the ISCP. And, and I think that travel is really expensive within the States at the moment now. Yep. Tickets are, you know, they're not more expensive than they ever were in the past, but people are tighter for money. There's a fucking recession that we're not allowed to talk about happening. And so like there's a lot of reasons why I think there's less people. I think there's only like 300 something people going to this one. People just haven't recovered properly from COVID. Yeah. It's caused some real ripples with people. Yeah. Staffing at work, we're constantly looking for and just hoping, like the rest of the world, Yeah, there's just a shortage. Of, where do they all go? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people just sort of reassess their priorities and what they want to do with their lives, you know, mm. and made different life decisions and have gone in different directions. And there's lots of different reasons. But anyway, I think that the ICP conference this year, I think that it's the warm up to bringing it back. Yep. I think that this is like, I'm really excited about it. If uh, by the time, you know, by the time this is out, it's nearly happening. If you see me there, please come and have a chat. I'm going to have all my camera gear and stuff to, you know, I want to make a bunch of content while I'm there. I intend to be doing that because I speak last on mm. the very last speaker. So they've, I've got stuff to do on the check-in day. I'm going to make it, if you see me there, you'll see me at check-in from about lunchtime. I think my flight lands at about 11 or something like that. So I've got to get there. But I'm going to be filming everybody arriving and saying like in safe hands, I'm going to make like a quick looping video. So jump in front of my camera, say that. And I'm going to make a looping video for as people arriving, sort of, you know, really promoting things. And then from there, I don't, nothing to do until <laughs> till the end. I'm the very last speaker. Mm. So I've got a lot of time in between. There's loads of speakers that I cannot wait to see. Tobias is going to be there. Uh, going Nino's going to be there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think mm. everybody's in person. Janet's 
talking. Jazz is going to be there. Like there's a lot of really, really good information being passed on. I made like a promo thing for it today and I was looking at all the, the people speaking and I got all excited about it again. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah, it's it's a shame. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed not to be going back to it, but uh, hopefully next year. Yeah, there's only a few Australians going, so that'll be – Oh, really? Yeah. Who, who do you know that's going? So there's me and Jazz and mm. I think Jim and his wife and a guy, Jamie, from South Australia, I think he's going. Jim never not goes. He's, yeah. He goes to all of them. I'll, yeah. Old Jimmy Mac. Yeah. If you see me there, please come up, say hello. There's a lot of the sort of people who I have been close with in the ISCP that won't be there. And so I'm looking to make new friends. Well, have a great conference, everyone. I'm disappointed not to be amongst you, but I'm glad it's happening and I'm glad the world has opened back up again. Mm. I think you've got some great talent at that one. I saw the speaker line up and there's some really exciting people to go along and learn from, including yourself. Mm-hmm. Would have been great to see Stephen Lindsay. Got to hang out with him in Australia when he was here doing a week-long tour. With the National Dog Trainers Federation had a conference back, I think it was back 2009. Mm-hmm. I got to chaperone him for the entire time. He came to my house. He hung out with me. We talked dogs. We we trained some of my dogs. Um, we went out to dinner. We hung out every day, literally. And uh, it was a really great experience to get to pick his brain and talk about his book. Not just the book, but science and dog-related stuff himself. Like mm-hmm. He is just an incredible wealth of knowledge. Like He consumes information and science at a great rate of knots. And I've had the pleasure of talking to other people around the world and in the industry over many years that I've been impressed with the level of information and what they're doing and how they're changing the world. Speaking of, the Red Team Conference is coming up in October. I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of the scientific community that are coming here, including Cameron Ford, who's doing a seminar out here. His conference is literally sold out. We've got one ticket left. Can you believe it? One ticket ticket left for Cameron Ford. He's coming out here on Mm -hmm. the, I think it's the 14th and 15th of October. The week before that, We've got the Red Team. It's the Canine Scent Conference that you and I, I think we're being, we're, we're involved we're in at. it. We're, we're at <laughs> We're it. at. We're, we're not sure what we're it. doing. We're sort of like patrons there or, or something to that degree. <laughs> I've got to find out in more detail what, what we're actually we're doing. monkeys. <laughs> but we're there. I think it's three or four days. They've actually got a good interest of people coming along there, but it's a, it's a lot of the canine olfaction scientific community coming along, Dr. Yeah. Nathan Hole. There's a really impressive lineup of people coming. So if you are in the industry, if you are interested in canine scent detection, olfaction in general and learning more about that and hearing some of the world's most renowned speakers, it would be a wonderful opportunity. There are still tickets available. You'll still be able to reach out. I've put it in the canine paradigm discussion group. You can search it there. It's called the canine scent forum. Join up and be a part of that community. Quite a few people I know are already going to it. There's quite a few law enforcement groups and Army, police, civilians who are involved in work. So, yeah. Yeah, it would be great. Yeah, it would be great. be great. All right. Let's get into the meat of it. Yeah, so we've got a lot of suggestions here, but I think we can kind of roll a lot of it into sort of one conversation. Sure. The topic sort of keeps coming up, choosing the right dog, as well as knowing when to stop using that dog. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Let's start with choosing the right dog because Birdie kind of touched on it when she started talking about packs or Mm -hmm. Skippy Mayhem Mm -hmm. last week in our episode. There were a lot of suggestions rolling around for her during that time. And I remember she came to me and said, what sort of dog should I get? And we talked about it and she talked about should she get a German Shepherd or should she get this dog or that dog? It's a really good question. When you're in the process of getting a puppy, I think it's one of those questions you really do need to have a good hard think about. Yeah, There's an NDTF group going on in the backyard at the moment and one of the things we always seem to get around to talking about is puppies and rescue. Mm-hmm. 
because that's really where a lot of big money happens for the pet dog training community. So I spend a large portion of time talking about our job in relation to that and how to prevent puppies going into the welfare system or into being euthanized for no really good reason other than a few minor behavioral things that could have been resolved quite easy. Yeah. I'll talk about my experiences. I've shared in experiences with other people before. I've got to sit down with people in NDTF groups and just forums and online communities and so forth where we, this conversation has come up so many times. And a lot of times what people do is they impulse buy. We've said this so many times. You can probably research many episodes in the past where we've brought up puppies or even talked about rescue, but people really do continue to impulse buy. For many of us, we seem to have this little empathy thing that goes off in our brain when we see a cute little face, the whimpering noises, the little soft doe eyes. You know the cat puss and boots out of Mm -hmm. Shrek? Yeah, yeah. When the dog sort of pulls the dog version of that face, it's very hard for people to walk away from that puppy. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't love a little baby puppy Mm. or a little kitten or something like that? Like people just easily fall in love with them, but there's really no consideration beyond that. To me, it's kind of like when the original people who built Sydney, they just settled in place and thought this is going to be great for now, but there was no fucking forethought for the future, Mm -hmm. for the congestion, for the roads, anything like that. Like it's just been mash-up after mash-up. And I think about that often when I think about people buying puppies. Mm. They buy this puppy and they think this is great now, you know, right now, right here in the moment. But in the future, there is no consideration for it until they sort of get – 12 to 18 months into it and they think, oh, I really don't like this dog. What happened to that beautiful little cuddly, sweet little puppy that used to make those funny little noises and Mm. fall asleep for me and run around the lounge room? Like, look at this dog now. Mm. Energy on top of energy. Like the dog is just expressing itself in different drives all over my lounge room and backyard. There's shit everywhere. Nobody wants to feed it. There's vet bills coming out the wazoo because it's hurting itself due to all that drive expression happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's so unfortunate because that dog, it's got a lot of output but very little input. It just does not know what behaviour or what expected behaviour it is. It knows what behaviour is. Of course it's learning. It's learning and reinforcing itself on a regular basis. It doesn't know what to expect in our world. Yeah. For people listening to us though, they're probably – not going to fall into that kind of category, right? Like they're usually if people are sort of asking us. Depends. It depends on what stage they listen to us. Yeah, true. But I think mostly if people are asking sort of choosing the right kind of dog, they're taking this next step really seriously, right? Like this is the dog that I'm going to get and it's going to be the one that I do the things with. Mm. You know what I mean? And my advice is always on that is like really – get into the minutiae of it, you know, because I think not even look at the right breed of dog for you, but the right bloodline of dog. Yeah. And that's something that Bertie mentioned as well. Like, you know, Labradors aren't Labradors. There's a lot of different types of labs. You could say that with all breeds. Exactly. Right. Mm. And so I think, do I want a show line? Do I want a working line? And then even of those, you know, I don't know much about show line, anything, but in the working line and say in, you know, Malinois, like there's a lot of really different like different traits that are available in those dogs. Yep. I haven't spoken to Barton ages. He's in the States. The time zones don't line up really well and blah, blah, blah. But every now and again, like I see a post of his come up on Facebook mm. and the knowledge that motherfucker drops is just amazing, right? So there, there was a little video of a little Mally puppy pushing some sheep around, right? And he just shared it. And he said, you know, one of the reasons why Belgian dogs, Belgian Malinois, right? But they're all, all Malinois are Belgian Malinois, right? But yep. the, the Belgian bloodlines, the NBBK bloodlines, 
the reason that they bite back of the mouth and have like the big pushing grips and our leg biters is because the way that they were used to maneuver cattle or livestock of any kind is not the way that we imagine like a livestock dog here in Australia. You know, here it's like a Kelpie that rounds them up and pushes them into the cattle grate and that kind of stuff, right? Mm. So they're real herders and they're, they're, they're using spatial pressure, that kind of thing. He explained that in Belgium, when you're taking the cattle into the market, you're actually moving them through streets and the dog is corralling them and pushing them to get them to the market. You know, we're talking 1800s. And so that's why they would bite rather than, you know, nip at them and the way a Australian Kelpie would. And they would bite, they would selected for dogs that would bite back of the mouth with their back molars because they're not going to actually puncture the, the cattle. Mm. They're going to just push them along. And that's why they developed like leg, big pushing grips is because on the cattle that they were maneuvering, that's the kind of grips that they would use to move through, you know, narrow cobblestone streets and whatever to get to the markets. Mm. I was like, holy shit, I never thought of that. Like that never occurred to me that that's how Mallies were used. Cause like everyone says they're a herder. When's the last time you saw someone working like a Mallie out in the field working cattle? I haven't. Exactly. I haven't. And, and of course I have seen the odd video of it here and there, but it's just not how they use. It was the same with German shepherds and Rottweilers were herding dogs. Yeah. And I see people occasionally get into it, but it's like a real anomaly to see that sort of dog doing that type of work. Yeah, they, exactly. They do do it and they did come from that ancestry but that's not why they're used and selected now. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, side note, I think in selecting the right dog, I think you've really got to know what is it that I want from this dog. Mm. And and I think if you're listening to us, you're the kind of person that's going to think that through. And I like I know that I've said it so many times and I, I get so much hate mail about it. I get everything from, yes, Pat, that's correct, through to fuck you, I'm going to find you. And, and everything in between about off-breeds. Really? Oh, mate, the off-breed people. I think some people who make comments like that to people like you are kind of like dogs who chase a car and don't know what to oh, do. Oh, they know. I think it. it's people just being ridiculous and yeah. very powerful on the internet. But I get everything in between. Uh, you know what? On the off-breeds, I've never got the, the extreme. But I definitely get a lot of feedback about it because I always say don't if you have like something particular in mind that you want to do with the dog – get the dog that is designed to do that thing. Yep. Don't try and get the, the the dog that is capable of it, but you know, maybe if you win the genetic lottery, like get the dog that everybody else in that thing is doing. So you're saying don't do what I just did. <laughs> <laughs> I think with Rottweiler, that still goes into the category of like they're a biting dog. But yes, <laughs> more specifically, I mean, like it's, it's usually the band dog and the pit people that are the ones that want to do the bite sports and power to you because like, I love it when those dogs do that and I love seeing them do it. But if your goal is to be successful in those sports, chances are like your best bet of doing that is with a Malinois because that's what everybody else is doing. Like mm. when you look at the podium, the podium's full of Malinois. Yeah, it's, uh, Mal's are the border collies of the bite world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. like if that's what you want to do, get that. Mm. But if you want to do, um, you know, if you want to do, what do you call it, fly ball, then you're going to need a different like different type of dog. A border collie or a... Yeah, or, yeah. or but you even look at like I know the breed snobs get upset, but the say you want to do uh, dock diving. 
those Mali Whippet crosses are what you need to be successful in that. Yeah, something and, that's going to shoot off the edge and fly as long as it can and yeah. land as deep into the water. Yeah, I know what you're saying. So yeah. I think in regards to choosing the right dog is really carefully and very honestly with you with yourself think about what is it that I plan to do with that dog. And I think that, you know, very often people aren't um, very c- truthful with themselves about what they're going to do. And and this is why I, I always encourage people with the club, right? When people say, oh, I'm thinking about getting a, a dog and if I get one, can I join the club? I'm like, yeah, of course, but you should start coming now, right? And puppyless come to the club every week. And see if you like it, see yeah. if you like the drive, see if yeah. you like hanging out for half a night and doing nothing. Exactly. And, yeah. Because you and the difference between a club night if you have a puppy and if you don't is about 10 minutes of you holding a leash while I play with your puppy on the end of a rag, right? Yeah. You still got to drive however long it takes you to get here. You still got to sit there all night watching and taking in what everybody else is doing so that I don't have to explain the same shit to you when you're at that point in your progression. And then you bring out your puppy and and have a go or not if you don't have one yet. So that's what I mean, like really commit. And we've had plenty of people that, how many people have you seen come and go in that exact same circumstance where they're like, yeah, I'm going to get one. And then they come for like two weeks. They, They come two weeks and then they miss a week and then they're there another week and then they miss three weeks and then they're back another week and then they never come back again. I remember speaking to Jay Jack a while ago and he was talking about it in Jiu Jitsu. Mm-hmm. And he was basically saying that, there's a lot of funny cartoons of jujitsu instructors when they give students their blue belt and they just start fading away and turning invisible. Mm-hmm. And he said, mate, that's literally what happens. It's like that was the goal to yeah. get the blue belt and that's it. Yeah. And then they just go away. Even just in dog training in general, for me to last this long is a fucking anomaly. I am an anomaly in this field. There's some people like me that have lasted like this, but the amount of people that have come in oh, my God, they're going to change the world. And they're talented people. They're going to come in. They've got fucking fire in their eyes. They want to do everything. And then they're gone. Mm. You know, as fast as they came into the scene and as much noise as they made, they're gone. Five years later, they're not even heard of anymore. Mm. You wouldn't even know who they were. And yet at the time, one of the most prolific sounding people, but big voice, fucking gone. Yeah, well... There's a lot to talk about in that, right? Because I think, <laughs> I think though, sometimes that is because people turn up and they it didn't give them the feedback that they wanted. I think that's what you're inferring, right? Is that they they turn up and they're a big personality and they're I'm here to change things, and then they realise that they're not as good as they thought they are. They they get negative feedback and they just fade away. It's a bit of both. Some people definitely fit into column A. And there's column B people who are good and they do get good feedback, but I think the industry consumes people sometimes. Yeah, and that's what I think happens all the time. And I think especially in the sports, Mm. it's really hard to get into the sports. And I think that a lot of the times people are not very welcoming and then people are sort of individually fairly welcoming, right? Like you get, for the most part, if you turn up to a club of any kind, any dog sport, whatever, for the most part, they're going to be like, Hi, how are you going? Come on in. This is what we do. But then as a bigger picture, that sort of falls apart. And usually, and you know, we've seen this all the time, is that you join a club and then suddenly you're being told that people in some other sport or in some other association are actually villains, right? Mm. And you're expected to think of them as the villain, even though you've never, you're fucking brand new. And so, and it's like, no, but that's how we feel. And we will indoctrinate you to feel that same way. And you see people get all in on that, right? And they start start shit-mouthing other people and getting in on the idea that, 
you know, whatever club, whatever sport is the villain, whatever. And then they meet those people and, and they're publicly announcing it that they're the problem. And then they meet those problem people and realize, oh shit, they're not. I've been had. I've become somebody else's patsy. And in the meantime, I've done the dirty work of that other person, right? And this is what we see with certain people up north here in Australia do exactly that to people, bring them in and indoctrinate people to feel a particular way, Mm. use them as a fucking mouthpiece to cause trouble for other people. And then when it turns out that it's all wrong, those people kind of had no choice but to disappear back to whence they came because they've embarrassed themselves Mm. and they've made a fool of themselves and they just thought they were doing the right thing. Mm. So there's lots of reasons why I think that happens. And, And I bet you that there's people listening you know, I'm thinking of very specific circumstances <laughs> that people have probably figured out, right? Yeah. But if you know, you know. But I bet you there's people who have no idea who I'm talking about who are nodding away applying that same template to their own sport, their own clubs, their own thing, wherever they are in the world, right? Because I see that same pattern kind of happening all the time. That's actually funny you talk about that. It, it just invoked a, an old memory that was suppressed deep down inside me, which was quite funny. I recall many years ago in the Schutzen world in Victoria. And it was going quite big then. There were quite a lot of clubs around Victoria and typical inter-club relationships were all fighting for the same goal, all wanting to do the same thing and just mortal enemies between each other until a trial comes and everyone's all patting each other on the back. And as soon as you leave, everyone's fighting and bitching about each other again. It was the craziest shit. But I remember one night we used to have this club down there called Melbourne Schutzen and there was an old guy down there called Brian McLaren and his wife Pauline that had the club and I think both of them have passed on now. It's quite some time ago. And that was back in the days of good working – they had good working dobes there too. Some of their dobes were just absolute brutes. And I remember this guy came down one night and I was a decoy and I was helping for trials on the night. And he came over and he started shit-mouthing me to Brian – and Brian pulled me over and he goes, hey, Glenn, come over here. And I came over and he goes, oh, this is, I'm not going to name him on air, but he goes, this is such and such from someone else's club and he's come down to say some things to you. And, and I said, <laughs> what would you like to say to me? Just like that. And he goes, he just looked at me and went white. And Brian goes, he thinks you're a <laughs> and he wants to punch your head in. <laughs> so Balls of steel, good work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he told Brian that. So I put down, I had like a padded whip and a sleeve and I just dropped them and I said, do you want to do it now or do you want to wait till I'm finished working dogs? Yeah. And he goes, oh, I hadn't met you before. And I said, what's that got to do with it? Why would you come down here and tell my club members that you want to punch my head in? Yeah. And I said, have we met before? He goes, no. And I go, so what's the problem? He goes, oh, it's just that you said something about one of the, my club mates. And I said, how long have you been in the industry? He goes, What's that got to do with anything? And I said, how long have you been in industry? He told me it was like months. And I said, why would you come down here? There's 15 men down here that are not happy with you right now, including me. Why would you come down and say that? And he goes, to be honest, I don't really know. Yeah. It was just a funny moment. I kind of laughed it off and I just said, mate, why don't you sit up there, get an education, and then we can have a chat when I'm finished. Let's talk about this. Because I said, I'm really curious as to what's going on. Yeah. And I said, and then if we're going to go fisticuffs, let's talk about that. Yeah. But we end up becoming friends. Yeah. Which yeah. was really bizarre. Like yeah, it was yeah. really bizarre. We end up becoming friends over a moment where he felt that he needed to defend the honor of his club yeah. and come down and make a physical threat to me in my club. Not, it wasn't my club. I was the helper, but Brian's club. Brian just said, mate, fucking give him, kick his ass. And I said, yeah, but he's a kid. He's like a, I don't want to insult you and say that, you know, he's like a trained soldier, but. 
he kind of was, you know, yeah. he just came down to defend the honour of his club. And I thought that is the strangest thing. But then I learned it's not so bizarre. Yeah. Then I started to see influence of that in other people. And I, I understood it because I felt outraged to people that I've never met before. And I kind of thought to myself, this is just stupid, isn't it? Yeah. Like, how do we do this? There are so many times now where I just think, why have I spent so much time disliking somebody that I don't even know who they are and have never really had a coffee with them or a, a sit-down conversation with them? It's yeah. really, really bizarre and how it, we get to that. Like, it's not just a dog sport thing. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it's everywhere. human behaviour. Yeah. But it's madness to me. I don't, I don't get it. Like, and I've... I've been a part of it in the past because you just get sort of programmed by people that this is dog shows are worse. Yeah. Oh my dog. I imagine that I imagine the show is even worse than the working. I can only imagine some of the physical and verbal threats that people were throwing around in dog shows in the past. And they're just the ones that I were there. I just thought, wow, you know, really over running dogs around a ring. Is it really that crazy? But so many hills that people are prepared to die on. You just think why this? Yeah. It truly makes no sense to me. And I think that in a lot of the dog communities, this is, you know, trained monkey syndrome, right? Like mm. this is the monkeys before me did it. Yes, and the, the yes. evidence is all there for this. Like you can break the cycle of that. Like this is Robert Sapolsky stuff with the baboon troop, right? Yeah. Like you can break that. And tribalism. Cycle. Yeah, you can break mm. that cycle. And I like to think that I try and do it. I think that say like if, if, if people want to get into suit dog sports and they're here in Sydney, there's not that many people who are involved in that. And there's really only, if you're in Sydney itself, there's really only two clubs. There's us here and there's the Sydney ring sport guys, the Mondio club. Yeah. And I think even more so lately, but like I have never, like we've had plenty of people come to the club here and they're like, oh, I'm, I don't know which one I'm going to do. I'm like, well, make your choice because like you're welcome at either. You know what I mean? And don't rush. Like there's no, even if you get the dog and you're not sure which one you'd want to do, development's going to be the same. You don't really need to make any big decisions until the dog's you know, finished teething. And even a year old is when even most of it, like you're going to be able to change your mind, like maintain a good relationship with everyone. Those guys have me out. They're going to come here now and again to prep for the trial that they're going to be a part of. You know what I mean? And people say, oh, decoys work dogs in different ways. Like, yeah, no shit. Like, of course. But it's just a different catch. Yeah, that's – And mm. but, I mean, even if we were doing things the same, we would still do things differently because yeah, there's differences in decoys, nuances. right? Mm. And sometimes a decoy would be better for a certain dog. Like, I'll refer people on all the time. I have people contact me and say, you know, like, I want you to do this. And I'm like, two reasons. I don't really have the time and I know someone who's better at that. So go to those people. And I think – that is something that I think the dog industry, not just bite sports, like I'm using us as an example because I can speak first person, right? But I think that the dog industry as a whole has to transcend the idea that the other is the enemy. Mm. And I think that we play for such low stakes. I don't understand why people get fucking crazy about it, right? So like people, you know, you can't be in this club or you'll be treated poorly if you got the wrong bloodline of dog, right? It makes no sense to me that people, if you turn up to the club and you don't have one of the head person of the club's dog, then you're on the outers of the club. Like what a fucking stupid way to continue forward. It's not like there's any shortage of people looking to buy dogs, you know? It's not like because you don't have one. And then the other thing that blows my mind about that is if you've got someone bringing outside bloodline into your club and it does well, then, hey, presto, now you have access to that bloodline. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the short-sighted – like, it's not just short-sighted, but it's flat-out fucking stupidity Mm. when people treat people poorly because they've brought the wrong bloodline into a club. It's like, if it goes well, you should give that dog 100% of your capability – and if it turns out poop, then you get to say, oh, that bloodline didn't go you know, within our system. It didn't work out. 
And if it turns out awesome, now you've got access to it and you can bring it into your kennel. Yeah. Like it just makes no fucking sense to me. And and everyone I know that is successful and has integrity feels exactly that same way. Mm. And there's plenty of people who are successful but have no integrity and that's how they operate. No. Exactly. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> I digress. But my point is... I think it's so we're so far gone from what we were talking about. I know, but there is a couple of good little bullet points there, a couple of take-home points that I think, and one of you you really made a good point of is there's a lot of time where people need preparation to understand what they're in for. Mm. And I like the fact that people come down and they sort of apprentice themselves before the dog arrives Yeah, to find out, okay, I'm in for an hour drive every night to get there and I'm going to be doing a lot of, sitting there watching things going on and I might be doing some participating. And in some cases I might be setting some things up and packing some stuff up and then driving an hour home after I've just spent four or five hours down there watching what goes on. I think that would give you a good indication of what club life is yeah. is like. There's another point that you made which is an unfortunate side and it's not in all clubs that I've been to but it certainly is an element that hovers around. There's a degree of snobbery in clubs. Mm. You've got to decide whether you want to tolerate that as well because there's been clubs that I've been involved in. This is what really – this is one of the things that always, always has perturbed me about the club scenes is the level of snobbery. Mm. You gave a good example before again when you said, you know, there's certain people that unless it's their dog or their breeding or their kennel or the dog that they like, then you're just a outsider to them. They kind of look at you like that and they treat you like that. You don't feel welcome from the start. Man, I've had some people that have come here before and said, on my recommendation, you sent me to a club and they said, those people treat it. Now, I'm not talking about working dog club. I could be referring to a Noseworks group yeah. or I could be referring to just a general obedience club. But they went down there to those clubs and they said, those people treated me like I was a piece of shit. Mm. And I said, well, describe what you did to be treated like a piece of shit before I assume that it was them. And they said, my partner came with me and you can ask them for verification. All I did was went down there, I left the dog in the car to be polite, went down there and said, hi, I'm such and such. I've come down, I'm interested in joining your club. And he said, immediately they just looked at me like, oh, you're just trash. You need to prove yourself. You need to sort of wait until we're ready to, to attend to you sort of thing. And he said, I just couldn't believe it. Where is the customer service that people pride themselves on? He said, obviously it doesn't fit around some of these dog clubs. Yeah. And I said, you are right. Like that's a really good point. Customer service is all the rage except for fucking animal clubs. Yeah. You know, some of the animal clubs you go into, if we treated them like that here at Pet Resorts in our company, mate, we would close down overnight. Well, two things on that I will say. Like I agree very much and mm. I think that – the old and bolds mistreating the new people of any hobby or any subset that we're doing, that's the best way to kill it. Yeah. And I think that that's what we're seeing quite a lot in dog clubs because the, the idea of dog clubs used to be a big thing and now it's not so much anymore, right? Like mm. the, there's less and less of them. But in, in lots of things, like clubs in general sort of are phasing out. I agree with you 100%. That's the best way to wreck it and people do need to be better. But I will play devil's advocate in that the, one of the issues with clubs, your leadership of the club are often very jaded by people wasting their time. I have experienced that, again, to use sort of our own club as an example, like I'm a professional dog trainer, I spend all day training people's dogs. People pay me well to train their dogs. Yep. And then I come out to club and I'm going to do it for free. Yep. And, I'm, and the whole point of a club is that we're in it together. Yep. 
especially in the suit sports, right? Like I cannot train my dog to like, it would be impossible for me to train my dog to the standard that he's at without the help of many, many, many others who have given me their time for free. And I think in some sports like IGP, for example, you can almost get away with that. You could train your dog to a very high level by yourself and you could employ a decoy, like pay the rate, whatever it is, enough times that you would then be able to title that dog and do pretty well, right? But I don't think like in the suit sports, that's absolutely off the table. You need access to people who are giving you their time because you just won't be successful Mm. if you need access to multiple decoys multiple days per week. And the only way you get that is by being that same decoy for somebody else. Mm. And so I think that we do experience people who turn up that are time wasters. Yes, and, yes, and, you do. And people are often jaded by that. So like I'm 100% with you, I get it. But like to play devil's advocate, I know because I've been in the same position where you get very weary of people wanting to join. And especially when they turn up with a really low skill set and they want to be in it and they've got like a you know high level of enthusiasm, but you're like, man, like there's a lot of work to teach you and like we have a club you know, we, within the time frame that we have allotted, like we don't have a beginner's class, you know, especially depending on the clubs and how they're set up. Like it could be like a humming along club of people that know what they're doing with dogs at a certain level. And then you get three or four people turn up with their first puppy and it's like, oh man, like that's a, that's a big chunk of our time that we have together that we now got to dedicate to these people who don't have even a basis for on which to build. And you have to do it if mm. they want to, if they want to get involved. But then I think everybody is probably jaded by having done that for someone who then doesn't see it through. Right. And, and for me personally, like I've been in that position for me, it's never about like, it's not a money thing and it's not, it is a bit of a time issue. I resent people that take my time for no reason and it's not that I've given those people like a skill set that they then go and use somewhere else. It's that if you're in the club, I'm emotionally invested in your dog and it pisses me off. That's why we made the rule in the club that like, and we're about to trial, but yeah, that's a big COVID issue of not of having trialed for so course. long. Mm. But we was like, this is a trialing club. And that's what we say to everyone when, when they want to come in, say, hey, we are all training here in order to trial the dogs. And if you just want to have fun and you want to, just train your dog to a really high standard, but don't intend to ever hit the field, you are not welcome here. There'll be somewhere else you can go and do that kind of stuff with. And, you know, I can point you in the right direction. And even I might be at those things sometimes when you're there because I go and hang with those people. But this time in my life, this night of the week is allocated to me training these dogs to hit the field. And that's important to me that we trial because we're demonstrating that what we're doing works and we're testing and adjusting and we're putting our dogs into positions where we get to find out if our training on a particular type of dog actually works. That's the whole point of us doing it. But I think, especially for me, I feel really strongly that if you're in the club, your dog isn't really your dog. It's our dog. Like you, for example, when you did a PSA one the first time and Randy didn't out, that's on me as much as it is on you because I did all of his grip development and everything. And the reason he didn't out was because we didn't, it was a first PSA trial and we didn't understand really the level of pressure that happens in the car. Mm. And we hadn't prepped him to but operate under that level of intensity. intensity yep, yep. And that's on me as much as on you. And so me and you together, that's like, oh, okay. Our training was found like a hole in it. And then we plug it and you'd kill it the next time around. Mm. And that's the whole point of doing this kind of thing. But when that didn't go down, that didn't go down for you. That went down for us. Yeah. It's a club thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the whole point of it. And so 
if your club operates in any other way than that, then it's not going to be a successful club. Mm. And that's why I think it's very easy to be very jaded against people because you're like, hey, man, I'm all in on this. I'm going to give everything to your dog. Mm. And if you can't do the same, then me and you are not going to align. Do you know what I mean? Of course I know so what I you think, mean. I think mm. that's kind of the issue with it. Like, especially when people do well in protection phases as a decoy, they're my points. <laughs> right? yep. Because like there's so many dogs that we've had on that field that the handler's job in teaching the out is saying the word. What their contribution to their dog's protection routine is letting go of a leash saying bite and then later holding onto that leash and saying out. And it's a decoy that does everything else in between. Well, that's one of the things I really love about the community in PSA is let's say, for example, you take out the trial. One of the trophies goes to the club. Yeah. Because it's a recognition that you wouldn't have got there without the help of your teammates. hundred percent. Like there is no way that you can raise a village with one person. You no just way. can't, you can't do it. Like it's the people who turn up. It's sometimes just the people who come there and cheer you on, like give you motivation to turn up and come through the door night after night. Yep. Listening to you telling all those really valid points. I remember a couple of things. It's digging up a lot of old memories. It's quite funny. I remember, not so much now, but there was a time when I first started here, there was almost, almost one person a week that wanted me to teach them to decoy. Mm. And, you know, like they were all in it until I was going to charge them money to do it. Like I said to them, yeah, I'll do it, but I'm going to charge you. You know, like, and some people I did, they paid me and came out and we did decoy work, but there was literally like one person a week that wanted to do it. And after all the years, I just got jaded with it all because the same thing. It's just like fucking time waster after time waster. You know, they want to come out. They want you to give it all from free. They want you to break your back and then they disappear and they're never to be seen of again or they go over and do it with somebody else. And then you think, dude, go fuck yourself. Like seriously. (laughs) The other thing which was more relevant was I remember when I was a kid and I was boxing, me and my mate Mark, we were boxing with this guy in in Bayswater where I li- used to live or I used to go to the school near there, a town called Bayswater in Victoria. And there was a guy there called Brian Levere and he was my first ever boxing coach. I was a kid at that time and, you know, like I, Mark and I used to wag the last couple of periods of school and go down and, and box at Brian's place. He didn't know we were wagging school and that was another story. He got up me for that one time. But he said to me one day, he goes, are you serious about being a boxer? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, you've got the talent to do it. So as your mate Mark, and he goes, he's committed, you're half-hearted. So what do you think? Do you think you want to be in it? And I said, I'm not sure. So he got one of his guys, a guy called Brad Butler, to come over and spar with me. And Brad fucking tuned me up. And he goes, that's what you're going to deal with time after time. Do you really think you want to make a professional career out of it? And I said, no, I don't think so. I mm-hmm. said, I, I just want to do it, you know, like have a couple of amateurs and see how I go. And he goes, cool, I'll train you for that. But you're not the only one I say this to. I say this to everyone, Glenn, so don't take offence to what I'm going to say next. See those boys over in the corners, those mad dogs over there, and he goes, they're the boys that pay my rent. They're the boys that are going to go in and make money, and they're the boys that I've got to spend most of my time with. And I have this conversation with everyone, so again, I'm saying don't take offence to it, but I will train you and I will show you some techniques, and then if you change your mind down the track, we can talk about this, and he goes, but... Don't come in here and think you're going to grab all my time when I need to spend more time with these boys over here. And that hurt my feelings when he first said that. When he first told me that, I didn't understand what he said. I was young and my brain was young. I kind of looked at him like, you fucking jerk. How dare you talk to me like that? But now I entirely get it. Mm. And it is the young, experienced brain who, and especially the entitlement that you go through at that early point in time where you would think, You're a jerk saying that to me, but he was right on the money. 
he needed those boys to keep his gym afloat. They're the guys that are going and they're going to become, hopefully, he's going to turn them into professional fighters and he gets a, a kick of the purse. How's he going to live off if he just comes up yeah. with a bunch of guys who come in, like you said, you know, they're there for six months and then they're never to be seen from again. It's yeah. like Jay Jack's version of before of the fading blue belts. Mm. Those people are, are not paying for your gym anymore. They got their white belt. They got to the stage of getting the blue belt. They're gone. Mm. I've seen so much of that in dog work over years, so much of it. Mm. It does jade you and you do get a little bit, oh, like these people again, you know, like here comes the second, third fourth, fifth, sixth round of these people. They want everything. They don't want to invest anything and then they're gone within six months. It is laborious and hard work. Yet, that's the industry. Yeah. And that's what you're going to be faced with. Very funny that we start off talking about picking an appropriate dog and then we end up talking. <laughs> it, must have, it must have pinged a nerve. It must have pinged a nerve. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, on picking the appropriate dog, I think that's the whole thing comes down to what do you really want to do with that dog? And 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 being truly honest with yourself about what are you going to do? How committed are you going to be? Because if you are and express that commitment before you get the dog, then get whatever the fuck dog is going to be the most suitable for doing that thing. And by expressing that commitment prior, you're going to have access to the people who are going to put you on the right path. You and Jane introduced me to a phrase quite some years ago, which I use regularly now because I think it perfectly describes a lot of those people and I call them the Freddy fadeaways. Oh, yeah. That was your word that you – Oh, really? Because you you used to say, oh, you know, when I go to a party and – um, it's that time of night. I just turn into Freddie Fadeaway. Oh, it was the AJ Fadeaway. That's a AJ Fadeaway. Yeah, that that's it? yeah, that's a classic army guy thing. Yeah. Is you just leave without saying goodbye. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, and literally, that's what happens in dog clubs. Yeah. It's like, where is that person? Yeah, the technical term for that is called a French leave. Right? French leave. Yeah, so it's to leave the party without drawing attention to it, mm. without drawing attention to your leaving or your absence. Yep. And I think lots of people do that, right? The, the AJ fake. Oh, Narelle's a classic for it. <laughs> Narelle just likes to go there, make an appearance, say, you know, like do all the due diligence and say, hi, 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 yeah. hi. And then like she's jamming her elbows into my ribs. And I'm the kind of person who feels guilty. And as soon as I get on the source a little bit, I want to be sociable yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. I was raised to feel like you need to be the last one there. Yeah, yeah. But even the people at the party go, oh, get out, you yeah. <laughs> I, the best thing the AJ fadeaway is when you do it like abruptly. So you're yeah. like mid, everything's going really well, having a great time. You say you got to go to the bathroom and you just leave. <laughs> Don't come back. Like finish on a high. No what? more one more time, Glenn. Exactly. My mate Rob, Rob Clark, who again was an old ADT guy that I used to train with in Melbourne. He used to have this thing where he'd get up and he'd just swoosh his hands together. So he'd just go... Like that to his wife and that yeah. meant we're going. Yeah. I used to laugh every time I saw him do that because, you know, we'd either be having a dinner and drinks and he'd just stand up and do that. So we just knew that was his fade out. Like, yeah. But it was a classic. I know people can't see the hands, but it was just like, it's like sliding your hands together in a clap where you just go. Yeah. Yeah. They still can't see it. They can't, they can't. That's right. Yes, <laughs> they can't. This is why we need a video. So I think- the other thing about choosing the right dog is like a lot of people are like probably listening saying, yeah, I'm not doing anything with that dog. How do I choose the right dog? And I think in that instance, this is when I do very often recommend people get secondhand dogs. Mm. Like if you have it in mind that you want a dog for no reason, you just want like a cuddle buddy, chances are someone's got a cuddle buddy. Like if you're in the industry, right, and you decide I just want a driverless potato that will hang out with me and travel around with me, chances are someone has that dog and they fucking hate it because it didn't turn out with the drive that they got it for. Mm. And so that's why I think you very often can put those feelers out and say, hey, 
I'm after a dog. Like if you see this usually from sort of retiring dog trainers or very experienced dog trainers that, you know, work with high-end working dogs and whatever all day. And they put out the fillers and say, hey, I just want potato. Like I just want a buddy that kicks around with me. Who's got a dog that has not displayed the drive that they wanted from it, mm. right? Like, and, and in any, in lots of different industries, that's the same thing. You can sort of reach out and be like, hey, who's got a dog that didn't turn out? I'm looking to just have a companion. Well, just have a look at any successful dog trainer who seems to burn through puppies and they're, they're going to have a long line of them <laughs> yeah. just flowing out behind them. Yeah, but they've probably got scars attached to them. <laughs> and then the other part of all of this was when do you know when to retire that dog? And that's a great question. I don't have an answer to that. I think personally you start retiring the dog when – I'm just going to talk my own beliefs. There's two schools of thought. One, when you can start to see that the dog biologically is not up to it anymore and it's injuring itself more. You don't wait till the dog is just keep on injuring itself. Like when the dog is injuring itself and you can see that, you know, that this is now a regular thing, I think that's a good time to say I think that's enough. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just – there's too many injuries to sustain having a having a career in this. Randy, like his hips aren't anywhere near as good as what they used to be. He hasn't got bad hips. His hips are actually quite good. He's like nine or He's 10? nearly nine. Yeah. yeah. Randy started really late in PSA. Like he was four when we got started. And, you know, like we had to go through that whole COVID thing. And, mm. you know, like but first we had to teach him what to do, like how to understand the system. So he started around about four. And I don't think he was like – he was about five and a half when we really sort of got into the weeds of it. And I think he got his first title and now all those years have passed by. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like the fact that he's retired. Like Mm. if I take one of the other dogs out and he sees it, sometimes I have to go back when I put the other dog away and just get the bite wedge or something like that and just give him a slam on it just so it satiates him because I know that he really bothers him that he didn't get to come out. And I feel for him because I know I don't want him to feel that way. I don't want him to feel like he's just served a purpose and he's useless anymore. Mm. I try and sustain him as much as possible. He's got his Kong ball. Like every video that I ever put up when he's playing with Mando and Macho in the backyard, you can always see Randy sitting there with his Kong ball. You know, that keeps him calm. That's his pacifier. It makes him feel happy. It makes him feel complete. He's got something to take his frustration. Like even when he's mad out in the backyard, like you should see him thrash that thing around while he's growling and snarling. And that's just him venting his frustration on something. He doesn't take it out on Macho. He doesn't get angry at anybody else. He just gets his Kong ball. He runs up in the backyard and he thrashes it round mm. and growls his head off. I, I should film it one day to show people what he actually looks like when he's really losing his shit mm. and he's having a moment where he needs to deal with whatever's going on. And that's frustration, I think, of retirement. I can sort of feel his frustration. I mean, at my age, I've got two blown bursts in each of my shoulder. If I start taking hit after hit after hit with dog again, it's a week of me feeling really bad pain in my shoulders now mm. where I never used to feel that. Like I never used to feel any – like you get the day of pain and you you get the bruising. I always used to get the bruising and stuff like that. I bruise really easy. But when you know that, you know, like it's time, like I said, there's a Tame Impala song where it, the lyrics are basically saying you're not as cool as you used to be it's, or you're not the same as you used to be. Mm. And I listened to the lyrics of that song and I thought, fuck, that's depressing, isn't it? It's hard because you were always the one that used to run in the suit or, or in the sleeve. Like ADT days were like, that was like a fucking sausage fest. You know, like it was just, <laughs> it was amazing. It was great. You know, you were fucking the hometown hero, like yeah, the quarterback yeah. in, the, in a small town. You were just that person. Yeah. And that fades after a period of time. And it's hard. Like it's hard on the ego. It yeah, hurts. Yeah. Then you see the younger guys coming through. They've got better backs. They're fucking stronger and they can take the hits and time again. You just think... But this is evolution. It's what it needs to be. Mm. 
I remember in the early days that I think some of the older guys when I was doing it, I used to get some jibs and jabs off them all the time. At the time I sort of thought, oh, you cranky old fuck. But I, I think it's just it's hard letting go. Mm. Whereas really what we need to do is the young men and women and women are coming through now, which is good to see some girls getting into decoying. We should be encouraging these young decoys. We should be really support- Yeah, well, I mean, that's what we've been trying to do. Hey, yeah, Lately yeah. we've had more decoys coming to club than we have dogs. Yeah, but it's nice to see people with strong backs that want to get into it and, and so forth. We shouldn't discourage them and, and you shouldn't look at it like, oh, you're not me or you weren't what I used to do or you can think that to yourself, but you shouldn't say that to them. Like we all started yeah. shit. Everyone in a novice scenario always made mistakes, always looked a bit sloppy, didn't carry themselves perfectly or anything like that. Like they don't need to hear that every time. What they do need to hear is how to do it better. Words of encouragement. Like that was awesome. Here's how to do it better so you don't fall over next time you're doing it. I remember watching Tenoa doing it and I knew she was going to fall on her ass, which she did. She fell over twice when she was trying to carry it because A, the suit's way too big for her. Yeah. And B, her feet were crabbing together. I just said to her, you know, you need to stride your legs out. You need to push through it so you don't fall over because if you sort of crowd your feet like that, you'll just go ass over when the weight of the dog hits you. But it's things that I had to learn the hard way when I used to fall over and get Yeah, and falling decoying, it's important to do because you got to learn to get up. You Absolutely. get to fall. Like there's always going to be And you got to learn how to fall too. Yeah. yeah. So like that's one of the things when people fall, people are often like, oh, no. And then, Help and then them up. you're like, hang on, stop. Like this, let the learning continues. Like now we talk through how to get up because yep. there's a whole process to that and you have to learn it because – no matter how good you get, there's a time when you bite the dust yep. and you've got to be able to figure out how to get up from there. And if the dog's going to tune you up, you've got to learn how to control that situation and understand where you need to be, how you need to be, and how to defend yourself in those sort of situations. Not that that would happen. Mm. You know, it's unlikely that that would happen. But if a dog gets over-aroused and doesn't know how to deal with that situation where there's a decoy on the ground, not that you should have it, um, that's the caveat I'm trying to say, but it could happen, you need to know how to protect yourself. Yeah. I remember years ago when we used to do a lot of decoying work, one of the things that Boyd used to make us do was learn how to defend an ugly situation. Like if something was to go pear-shaped, how to protect your face, your neck, everything like that, like all the vital parts of yourself because that was sticking out of the suit. And we used to make it a big point of training, like to say shit could happen. You mm. need to know how to redirect the dog back onto where you want it to bite and not onto a vital area or anything like that. Mm. But for people listening, don't get scared about that because that rarely happens. Yeah, you just don't let that kind of dog onto the suit. Like it's not a thing of mayhem or anything that you would encourage. It's just that like if you got a dog that was a bit of a nervous gripper or anything like that, and you unfortunately found it out in that situation. You just want to know how to defend yourself better. Yeah. Mm. I think on the topic of like knowing when to retire a dog, I don't know. <laughs> I'm struggling with that with Remy currently. Mm. I think that. He's on the cusp. Yeah. And there's certain things that I wanted to achieve with him and he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care. Like I really wanted to close out that PSA level two. Like oh, I wanted a three, but that's totally, that's off the cards. Mm. With COVID, it's just not possible. But I really wanted to close out the two. But my concern is like, you know, there's muzzle work in the two now and he knows it. But to train it, I just think the risk of him being injured is is really high. And because he's constantly injured, like he's got a lot of kneeling injuries and he, you know, regularly, I think his issue is he carries himself odd. He's got an odd gait because he, you know, blew his ACL. So he, he's, he limps all the time. So that has affected him, you know, like the way that he moves and whatever he's, he's, so he injures pretty easily. I think there's some genetic causes to that as well. And so it's a tricky one because he still enjoys the work, but I can see that he's kind of sore afterwards, not, yeah. not to this point 
where I would stop. Like at the moment that he was no longer enjoying it or that I made the assessment and was like the repercussions to him are uh, too much, I'll stop immediately. But my concern doing anything too hectic with him is that he has some sort of big injury and then he can't do this kind of simmering away stuff that we do. So mm. like as is now, we can go and we can train every day. He can do a bit of bite work a few times a week if he wants to, or like if I have access to a decoy, but we can chase the ball, we can do obedience, we can dance around, we can fuck around. Like I can really give him a great life. And I'm concerned, my big concern is injuring him in a way where he still has a lot of desire to do those things, but he's physically incapable. That's my big concern for him. So like, I really, I'm at a bit of a crux on that. Like, I don't know what to do. And like I say, I think getting that PSA 2 would be great. And that would really satiate my ego. And it would really, would really tick a box that I emotionally want to tick, but I don't think it's the right thing to do for him. And and like, it's not like it's a catastrophically bad thing to do for him, but like when I do the cost benefit analysis of it, I just think the chances of him getting injured in the training to like bring him back online like that. And, you know, I'm doing all the right things. He's on the raw and he's on all the supplements and blah, blah, blah. Like we're doing everything right to have him bring him back to that level and having him running that hot all the time to be capable of that, I just think that the chances of me completely tearing his ACL or doing something else is so high. And then I'm in a real position where like I've got a dog who whose mind is still totally willing, but the body is totally incapable. Whereas right now I've got a dog who the mind is totally willing and the body's kind of like, okay. Mm. And I feel like I'm probably better simmering him away like that. I'm better simmering him away like that as is. And I think, you know, his real purpose is to help me with training rather than, rather than being a dog that wins competitions. His real job is he's my battle lab for, for starters. Well, was right. Like I, a lot of what I know I learned doing with him and, and he, like all my dogs have, that are mine personally have been through so many iterations of training cycles because I experiment with different things on them. There's a lot of things. I know I've talked about this before. There's a lot of things that I preach and then people see me do the opposite with my own dog. And then they're like, Oh, you say do this and you do the opposite with your dog. You're like, that's how I know this is not the right thing to do. (laughs) Right. Just little things. You know, that's like, just like the way I taught him to stand, for example, he's the only dog I taught that way. And I would never teach another dog that, that same way again, you know, and haven't since. So there's little stuff like that. But like his real job is, you know, exactly as you say, he trains decoys. He's an advocate for the breed and the type of training and that kind of stuff. You mm. know what I mean? So yeah, I, I, I feel like for me and him, it's more important that he continue to be able to do that than that I, you know, achieve the titles that I wanted him to get. And for fuck's sake, he's got titles in three different, four different sports. You know what I mean? It's not like he hasn't done stuff. But I would like to do more. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I always want more. I don't mean to be out of line by saying this and – disrespectful for anybody else in that field. But I kind of look at Remy like he's been a therapy dog for you. For sure he's been – like he's been a big part of my life. He's Mm. been a super important part of my life for sure. He's like very important to me and that's why I feel a real strong obligation to do what's right by him all the time. Yeah, I just think that what you've done and the relationship you've had and the things that you've got to experiment with and the forgiveness of the dog, the fortitude of him that he's been allowed to – or he's allowed for things to be done a certain way and then changed and changed and modified and so forth. It's been a great adventure for both of you. And I think just at a time where it's never that you've been low or you've been in those sort of points, but I think it's been a great, not only a distraction for you, but also character building for you to change you into who you needed to become on that next evolution of who you were. Yeah, for sure. And I need to say something else. What you just said about your dog before 
tells me a lot about your own character and fortitude as a man and as a human being in the way that you care about that dog and the benevolence that you have towards him on the rest of his future. Because I know people, mate, that have fucking crushed their dog through trials just so they can get that that mm. trial and they've literally broken their dog to pieces mm. and you never see that dog again. Like that dog is, once it's served its purpose, like it's gone mm. and it's just gone next dog. I know in my heart and soul, like when I've seen those dogs, I know that dog should never have been pushed to that next point. Mm. Like that dog is fucked, not mentally, but physically shattered. Like that dog should never have gone in those trials. I guess, you know, like if you're listening to me talking about this, this is something I think that you need to know when to say when for all the right reasons. Like if that dog is more than just a trophy to you, if it's more than just an achievement, you really have to consider what you're doing next. How would you feel if your own parent did it to you? Like if you were at the point where you were just saying, please, it's in my head I could do it, but my body is shattered and you got pushed to doing it and it put you in a wheelchair or something like that afterwards. Like it literally collapsed your body. You have to consider things like that. Like yeah. I, I just wouldn't do it to Randy anymore. Like I, I know he likes a little fun bite every now and then, which is what I try and keep him involved in, you know, keep his mind active because I know that's important to him. I know that he likes to do it. One of his canines, his bottom left canine, I mean, that's at the point where at some stage it's going to be need to be removed. Mm. And I don't want him to take a massive bite and then end up having that snapped and end up having a raw nerve and so forth. Those sort of accidents can happen and have happened to working dogs throughout history. You know, that's just one of those things. But I know it's going to happen at one stage. The vet's aware of it. We've had discussions on, you know, the next things to do. But I actually love that dog. You know, mm. like he means he's my mate. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I adore him and I, I don't want to see the worst for him. No trial or no fucking bit of tin on earth or anything like that is worth putting him through that excruciating pain and then being responsible for that at the end. And I know people who will do that. Yeah. And, you know, I think you bring up a really interesting point in that I've worked with real working dogs. You have too, right? Dogs yep. that they have a legit job. Yep. They live in a kennel. They come out to do that job. They're very happy dogs. Yep. They live their life that way. They they get ridden hard and put away wet, right? Like, and that's I, – I don't really have an issue with that because those dogs, they have that life and they're very happy in that life for the most part, the ones I see anyway. But I think – for us, people in our position currently, the style of training that you and I advocate is for your pet dog that you do cool stuff with. Yeah, it's part of your life, not just to enhance your own life. Yeah, and yeah. like I think there's people who, you know, have a working dog and that dog comes out of the box to do work and it does its job and it goes back away and power too, like that's fine, but that's a different type of dog and a different relationship and a different style of training to what, like I and you have with our dogs, like my dog fucking sleep, like he's loose in the house all the mm. time. And and like, it took a long time to get to there, but he is 99.99% of the time, a companion to my family. Yep. And he's a dog that I trust with my kids. Like I'm not an idiot. I'm not leaving them unsupervised, but they're in the house together. It's no big deal. He enjoys the company of my kids. He, one of the things I'll tell you about Remy, this is the day that I like, I already loved him, but I couldn't believe what I was watching was he was on the couch and he's, he was kind of asleep, right? He was for the most part asleep and Rip was walking over to him and I was watching and I was like the way Rip was much younger and the way that he was moving, I thought it's very possible if Remy sees him, he's going to think he's stalking him, right? Because mm. he was like sneaking over because he wanted to get the TV remote. So I'm watching like a hawk in case he does wake up. That fucking dog was pretending to be asleep and his tail betrayed him right? <laughs> because he's, he's watching Rip walk over and he's got like one eye just a little bit open 
And as he's walking over towards him, his tail just started like thud, boom, boom, boom on the couch. And I was like, this fucking dog enjoys the company of this kid so much that he doesn't want to like open his eyes. It was like they were playing, was that like, what's the time, Mr. Wolf? You know, like where they turn around or, oh, yes. or what's it called in Squid Game? They play that fucking game, uh, Red Light, Green Light. Like yep. it was almost like they were playing a version of that, mm. but Remy's tail was betraying him because it was like wagging on the, like while he was eyes mostly closed, his tail was wagging. I thought, fucking hell, like I've never had a dog that was capable of doing what he does and that I've convinced to live in the house and, and modulate drive. And I think there's a big genetic chunk of that capability. Like that's mostly genetics. I, I can take a, I can take a certain amount of credit in training wise, cause he's totally capable of being cooking off in the kennel and being way more powerful dog than he is. But I've you know convinced him that there's value in being in the house. And he demonstrated to me that day that he is convinced like there is value in this. I enjoy this. This is something that made him really happy. Just the presence of the kid walking over to him. And where are the trophies for that sort of behavior? <laughs> There's not, right? But that's the thing, right? Like yeah. pulling that fucking shit off yeah. is just amazing. But like it really is amazing with some of these real high drive dogs. But to be honest, again, to sort of feed back into choosing the right dog, there's bloodlines of Mali that I wouldn't, I wouldn't even dream of trying to teach them that. Mm. Like I wouldn't, like I know they're just not capable of it. And I wouldn't risk, I would never risk putting that, letting that go down. But with the bloodline there, so he's like Malinois aren't Malinois, right? It's same as like Border Collies aren't Border Collies. Like yep. they're all different. With him, he was very capable of that. And when you talk to people about that bloodline, then they're like, yeah, that's that's not uncommon, right? Like they're very capable of coming all the way down and going all the way back up. Mm. Jeez, that's a- Choose the right breed. That, <laughs> that's a hard one to leave the conversation on because that's, that, <laughs> that's almost a big conversation in itself. Yeah, mm. for sure. While we've been talking, the comments keep coming through on this thread and hopefully we can find some time to get a couple episodes done before I go so that there's no lull in the battle. Yeah. Figure that out. Mm. All right. That's it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to leave it on that cliffhanger. Yeah. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. If you like what you hear, do something about it. What should they do, Glenn? I'm still waiting for somebody to show us a video of themselves running into public into a, into a public arena or something like that and just yelling at the top of the youngs, listen to the canine paradigm. Yeah, like at a stadium of some sort. When I was in Canberra with Narelle at Karen Swan's event for ARF, which is ACT Welfare and Rescue. I'm going to give them a little plug because mm-hmm. they're a good group down there and they're doing great things for rescue. Mm-hmm. Karen was saying to me, oh, you know, I've, I was thinking about doing the whole yelling out, but that's not who I am. And I kind of <laughs> laughed. But, yeah, go ahead and do that. Just run out into a public arena and just say you should be listening to the Canine Paradigm. Yeah. And film it so we can see it. And, yeah, and put it on your Instagram I want to laugh to it. I want to, I want to see it on Instagram and I will definitely plug it away. Yeah. I think the best way still, I I'm, I'm feel pretty confident about this, is taking your AirPod out and sticking it in someone else's ear on the bus or something like that. Oh, I'm yeah. Still, still f- pretty confident that's the best way for us to, to organic, get organically grow <laughs> to get the show. Hey, it's got nothing to do with us. <laughs> We're just suggesting it. <laughs> Anyway, but truly what you could do is liking however you're listening to this, commenting, sharing, subscribing, all that kind of stuff. I know that's a pain in the dick to do. It's such a like, ugh. When a I hear pain people, in the dick. Pain in the dick. I, when people say to do that and I'm like, I know I should do this to help you out, but I'm driving currently. I'm listening to this or, or you know, my phone's in my pocket and I don't want to do that. But when you get to where you're going, just do it real quick. And what that does is that helps other people find the show. And trust me, the show is getting harder to listen to to new people. 
because it, like the more comfortable we are doing the show, the longer sort of, oh, how's your life going, Glenn? And, and, the, and the less time that we actually get to spend together in real life and mm. have our actual real life conversations into these microphones that people have to endure our bullshit for the first 10 minutes. <laughs> if you're a new listener to the show, you'd be like, who are these dickheads? So if you tell someone to listen to the show, tell them to just skip the first 10 minutes or something like no, that of do their that. first ever episode. No, they, they need to Listen know. to the ads and then- then get into it. Mm. Hey, you know, speaking of ads, well, we're wrapping up and we probably need to do new ads at some point, but I wanted to give a shout out to the firm and the OG because I was talking to someone recently about the podcast. I want to work and we we're talking about it and they was like, oh, you know, do you have advertisers? So I was like, you know what we do? It's not like we don't really charge enough that would like, it's not a profitable enterprise, right? But we do because we like to support people who support us. And like, what do you mean support people who support us? And, and then I told a story and it was, you know, when you tell a story out loud for the, like the, the telling of it, you're kind of realizing it as you're telling it. Yep. And I said, oh, this guy, Jason Furman, after our first episode, contacted us and said that he wanted to support, wanted to sponsor the show. And we said, oh, man, I don't know if this is even going to be a thing. There's no way we're taking on a <laughs> fucking sponsor now. And he was like, no, no, no. Well, when you do, when you're ready for sponsors, I want to be a sponsor. I want to be the first a, like uh, advertiser. Yep. And he was before there was a Patreon, before there was any any advertising, it was just us. He was harassing us to be the first advertiser. He's seen a great return on that, right? For sure he has. And that's one way to look at it. And what I realized when I was sort of explaining this to someone, when they, I was like, oh, well, you know, like we've, we still hardly charge it very much at all. And he's on the show. And I think that we, we do drive a fair amount of traffic to him and it's mutually beneficial. We've got a good place to send people to get equipment, supports Australian, blah, 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 all this bullshit, right? Like all the things. Yep. But then I realized as I was saying it, I was like, that motherfucker believed in us before we believed in us. And never dropped off. Never. He never dropped off. He's the only person who's been the, like you said, he's the OG. He stayed with us from the start and he's still with us to this very day. Yeah. So even if it were a business decision, which it wasn't for Jason, he wanted to support us. But even if I were to divorce myself from his friendship and just say that he was a person that realized he could get in at the ground level and be a sponsor of a show that would eventually have 40,000 listeners back when it had two. Yep. He realized that that was possible before we realized that was possible. And maybe his support, it's maybe one of those like self-determining things, mm. right? Like what do they call that? An Oedipus complex where like the knowing it made it happen. Yep. That's possible. It could be. So good on you, Jason, you cranky old fuck. Yeah, you dirty old bush pig. Even if you're still <laughs> running your irons a wiener, go buy some stuff from him. And the other people that, that support us, go buy stuff from them. He's funny. For somebody who's got such an abrasive exterior, the guy's got a heart of gold. Yeah. Not that he'd want you to know that. We see through you. We see through you. We big see softy, through you. Big marshmallow. Yeah. Yeah. Softy. Yeah. Speaking of which, I just had a message from Pat Nolan. He wants to come on as a supporter of the show. Hell yeah. yeah. You get him on to talk. I know we can't officially do it, but we should knight him. We should we should have people call him Sir Pat Nolan. And Can just, we knight him? And you and I. We have no power to knight him. when Tony Abbott tried to bring back knighting people <laughs> and Australia's like, fuck off, fuck off. Yeah, but we should we should give him an honorary knighthood and get everyone to call him Sir Pat Nolan. And then next time we see him, like if we see him in person, we'll just stand next to him and just say, hey, you there, avert your eyes, don't look directly at him. Okay, you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You don't play any of the fun games. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, my fun game is saying no. Yes. 
Where are we at here? We support the show. Teespring. Oh, yeah. Now, Patreon. Oh, no, Patreon. Patreon, jump in there. Yeah, yeah, do that. I've recorded it by the time you're hearing this. I'm, I've am i got something special going on for those guys. It's more of a for the business types within nice. our listenership. Yep. Well, I that's have, important. That's very important because we've got a lot of people who own their own companies and business. So I have access through my current day job to some incredible business people And there's weird crossover that has happened where a dog trainer, actually Luke Badman, I'll I'll tell you guys about it because it's going to happen. We've put it in the calendar. So Luke Badman, he has his own podcast, Life With Your Dog. He's been on with us. We've been on with them. So he works now, or even before I did, for the company. He heard Matt on this show and then, anyway, end up working for them. He's a sales killer and he's a dog trainer and he is exceptional at selling over direct message. And so we're going to do a whole uh, Patreon video, me and him are recording it on Monday, on how to employ the skills that he's been taught via the sales company, how to bring that into selling over direct message, because that's how most dog trainers are getting work these days, right? It's a lot of like through your Instagram, through that kind of stuff. And so it's how to sell through that. Well, you ain't getting that for three bucks. Yeah, you are. Are they? (laughs) Yeah, they'll get that for three bucks. So that'll be in Patreon. So we're recording that next week. It'll take a little while to edit it all up and get it all in. But so that's going to be in Patreon and that's going to be some killer fucking content. No pressure, Luke, but it better be killer. I've just told everyone (laughs) about it. Uh, But like from a business side point, like you're getting, that's going to be a ton of value. It's going to teach you some really cool stuff. For sure. Uh, All right. So get into Patreon, check that out. Teespring, buy some stuff. Yep. Buy some cool stuff. Get a water bottle. No water bottle. If you want a water bottle, go to Yeti. Yeah. If you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is jump into the Canine Paradigm discussion group. Even though we barely touched the sides of the nominations people gave us just then to talk about, that's where we communicate with you guys. I know that me and Glenn both are not super active in the group commenting and stuff like that. But we're reading but it. We read everything. Every I, I try to stay up to date. You know, the admins of that group, we had a little com- – did we talk about this the other week? We had a little conversation about how we hadn't spoken to each other in ages because everybody in there is so well – it's such a nice community. So if you're not in there, you should be. And the numbers don't stack up. So I know some of you, maybe even you, the listener – listening right now is not in that group because the numbers don't align. The downloads mm. are more than the people in the group. So maybe you don't have Facebook. I don't know, but maybe you should jump in there. Yeah. It's up to date. You give us feedback. Tell us what's going on. And it'd be nice if you jumped into Patreon too. Yeah, that'd be good. The numbers would be, that they wouldn't be rookie numbers. That would help us get our whisper room. Oh my God. Could you imagine if everyone was Patreon? That would be great. We'd, we'd be in a, a different bracket. Stratosphere with Joe Roganing. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to get in contact with us, you shoot us an email. We are info at the Canon Paradigm. Goodbye.